Well, slap my ass, tie my shoelaces, and call me Nancy. I prefer if you did those things in that specific order. Thank you very much. Uh, welcome to The Strange and Deadly Show, brought to you by Gentleman's Grindhouse Records. On this show, we talk about ourselves, of course, and only ourselves, never about the films. Uh, but when we do talk about the films, uh, contradiction, we discuss films on the Section 3 list related to the video Nazis. We proud of our films every fortnight based on a theme. Yes, we diddly do. You can find out more information about all of our podcasts, and there are many over at gentlemansgrindhouserecords.com. You can subscribe on iTunes and via any podcatcher you might be using. We'll give you that information again and also tell you how you can get your feedback and comments over to us at the end of the show. So here we are in the month of December, the month of Sandy Claus. My name, of course, well, you already know, don't you? But my name is Chris Clayton and I'm joined by... Tom Elliott. Tom Elliott. How have you been, old boy? I've been very good, Chris. Been very good. I guess I've been still on the old fallout oh, for the yes. past couple of weeks, but uh, so we won't talk about that. But how are you? I'm very good. I'm broke because I spent a lot of money on Black Friday. Yes, Tom, I joined mm. in with consumerism. I feel dirty and cheap, but uh, <laughs> basically, I bought a ton of Blu-rays. Like remarkably, I've never really done it before the Black Friday thing. I bought sort of a couple of things in the past. It's really fairly kind of new to the UK, I would say. Only really the last couple of years we've kind of focused on it. But I, uh, I just got a bit carried away really, and just ended up getting loads of different deals. I got different bundles from Arrow Video. Obviously, I'm not going to list everything off, but I got Cronenberg Steel Books. I got a, a, a seven Blu-rays for forty pounds. A Vincent Price Gothic bundle, uh, mm. which is I'm, you know, absolutely thrilled with. I got, oh goodness me, I got a uh, some anime because I'm a big fan of anime. I don't, never really talk about it on here, but I got some anime. Um, I got the, I finally got the Edgar Allan Poe Black Cats collection. You know, the double thing with um, mm-hmm. uh, Lucio Fulci's Black Cats and your your vice is a locked room and only I have the key. And uh, yeah, met, title. yeah, what a title! And uh, many many other many many other things, different. Uh, Basically, I spent a lot of money, really, Tom. Did you uh, get involved in any of it? You know what? Sometimes I've got a lot of Blu-rays and and stuff. I'm looking at them on my shelf here, and I just kind of think sometimes I never watch these. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like I, I buy stuff and it just sits on my shelf here, and it's films that I love, but I kind of think, you know, I'll watch that once, and I'll probably never get round to watching it again. But so I I saw all that Arrow Video stuff and they were great deals, but I left them alone. But um, I did take delivery of you and I are both big fans of the Marvel stuff, aren't they? Or superhero stuff in general? Yes. And I took delivery of the Ant Man Steelbook mm-hmm. Blu-ray and the Agent Carter Season One Steelbook Blu-ray. I've got all of the Marvel films in a Steelbook, so I always love getting a new one and adding it to that collection. Oh, do you really? Oh, dear. I'm very jealous of you. Uh, mm. I've sort of resisted buying any of the Phase 2 stuff because I'm waiting for the big box set that's going to have them all in there. And it's been quite yeah. difficult because I really want to buy, you know, Captain America, the Winter Soldier in particular. That's my favourite of the of the Phase 2 stuff. And um, But I, I've sort of resisted it. But you've got them all in steelbook form. That is... You know, I'm incredibly envious of that. I mean, I did see the Ant Man Steelbook, and it was a little bit too much for a, you know for a film that I hadn't seen yet, because uh, yeah. it's the only one of the films that I haven't seen. Uh, so, oh, you haven't seen Ant Man? No, yet? no, no. I mean, what do you what did you think of it? 
I think I thought it was really good. It's um, it's amazing how they bring a different flavor to each of these these heroes. It, it's not as comedic as you would think with Paul Rudd. He, he seems to be dialing back his comedic side a touch, but he's still funny in it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's got a, a feeling all of its own, but it, again, fits quite nicely in the Marvel Universe. So it's it's a good addition, I think. And what did you think of Agent Carter? I haven't watched that yet. I've never seen it. It was a blind buy. If you put it, I'll, I'll buy anything if it's a steelbook, mate. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so will I. So will I. I got a, a load of steelbooks recently, so I, I have to agree with you. I mean, I, I, I watched that series and I thought it was good. You know, decent, mm. a decent little spy show. Doesn't have a lot of edge to it, so I think in right. in the second season, hopefully they bring a little bit more of that to it. You know, if you compare it to something like Daredevil, it, it seems very, you know, tame. But in comparison, but Haley Atwell, who plays Agent Carter, is really good and really likable, and uh, yeah. So I think you'll have a good time with that. I think it'll be. I don't know how much, how much do you pay for it. Well, this is the thing, Zavi, who bring these out in the UK, they put the pre-orders up, and it's always twenty-five quid a pop, mm. which is steep. But the thing is, some of them sell out and some of them don't. So you've always got to get in there. And the bad thing is, sometimes in a couple of months' time, they will, if it, they're not sold out, they will reduce the price. But you just don't know what will and what won't. So I always pre-order them. No, I know what you mean. The Army of Darkness steelbook was one that I was trying to get for ages. I ended up having to buy it off eBay because it mm. would sort of come back in stock for a while. By the time I actually got to it, it would be gone again. <laughs> And it would yeah. be like, oh, God, you know, I, I want this so badly. Uh, I ended up getting the, the latest steelbook I got was Edward Scissorhands. The, uh, okay. I think it's the 15th or so anniversary of that. So um, 20th anniversary of that, maybe. So, yeah, I mean, one of my favourite films, old Johnny Depp and Tim Burton. And, and uh, yeah, so anyway, Tom, we're talking about a load of stuff that's not related <laughs> to the madness that's on this show. But I did just want to say I apologise greatly to all of you for my dip into ultra consumerism. I'm going to try next year not to... <laughs> not to spend so much bloody money because <laughs> my wallet is is feeling it and also my sh- i'm running out of bloody room tom you know i'm sure you know what that's like yeah absolutely absolutely which is why i uh I, I only buy specific things these days but um still the old collection gets bigger well never mind that tom we're here to talk about some nonsense <laughs> it's something that we do on a regular basis and mm. uh my goodness do we have some nonsense in store for you now of course uh, last episode, we covered uh, a topic that uh, wasn't horror-related, and we're doing it again here. Tom, what's the topic on this show? Before we actually saw the films, we uh, we think we kind of put it as street gangs or rape gangs or something. I think we'll just go with gangs, mm-hmm. uh, because they are two very different films, but there's a gang element to both of them. So let's let's call it gangs, and our films are... The Mad Foxes, oh my god, and um, <laughs> Street Killers, also known as Mad Dog Killer. So similar kind of titles in uh, that respect, but very different films. Definitely, and there is a little bit of rape revenge in both of them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think we, we said on the last episode, right at the tail end there, that we're not really fans of the sort of rapier exploitation stuff. Uh, I find it to be quite uncomfortable really, watching mm. scenes like that, which you would imagine would be a natural sort of human reaction. We'd hope so, anyway. I find that very difficult to sit through. Um, so, you know, difficult to, to watch those scenes in these movies, but there are aspects of them that I think kind of kind of make up for that in a way. So why don't I tell you, Tom, and the listeners, about a little film called The Mad Foxes. It's a very, very mad world 
The Mad Foxes, also known as Los Violaderes. It was released in 1981. It was directed by Paul Grau uh, as Paul Gray. Uh, you know, it's a lot of these directors at that time would sort of would go under a, a pseudonym or a very English sounding name, I guess. Uh, it was written by Hans R. Walthard, Paul Grau, Melvin Quinones and Jamie Jesus Balcazar. There we go. There's a bunch of names for you. It took four people to write this thing. Oh, my God. It really did, Tom. They needed all of their <laughs> writing power and strength to put this thing together. Let me, let me read you the synopsis of this one. How... Walters, played by Jose Grass, is a or Grass is a man about town, lusting after all the local chicks he can get his filthy hands on. His latest acquisition is an 18-year-old who he's busy necking with as he drives to a nearby nightclub. Along the way, he has a run-in with the resident biker gang, whose leader taunts him through the window. Hal decides to race off, and a member of the gang smashes into a car, ejecting from the motorcycle and killing him instantly. Well, shaken but clearly not too stirred. James Bond joke. Hal and his lady arrive at the nightclub and begin warming up for the night with some champagne. Hal is very, very keen to teach his inexperienced 18-year-old the ways of the flesh, and the two finish up at the nightclub and head out towards his place. Well, a surprise lies in store for Hal. The biker gang are waiting near his car, and they quickly beat Hal to a pulp and begin raping the young girl. Finished with the couple, they depart. Hal spends the night at the hospital where his wounds are patched up and he emerges the next day with a plan in mind. He calls up a friend who teaches at a martial arts school and asks if they will accompany him to the hideout of the gang so that he can take revenge on them all. They arrive at the hideout to be greeted by several of the gang members, all of them mourning the death of one of their own. A fight ensues and the martial arts students beat the gang members up. The cherry on top involves Hal ordering his teacher friend to cut off the leader gang members, well, member. Satisfied that that's the end of it, Hal returns home. However, the remnants of the gang has other plans. As payback, they invade the martial arts school, throwing a live grenade in, and then shooting everyone just for good measure. The cheater also pays with his life via a knife to the chest, but not before betraying Hal and revealing where Hal lives. The gang arrives at Hal's home, but Hal gives them the slip and decides to drive out to visit his parents at their mansion in the country. Along the way, he picks up a girl who he decides to bring with him for the visit. They make it out to the mansion and spend time there making love and having adventures outside. It's not long though before the vengeful gang find their way there and begin slaughtering the workers at the house as well as Hal's parents. Discovering their dead bodies, Hal swears revenge and armed with a shotgun and a penchant for killing men with very floppy cocks, he prepares to take the gang members out one by one. Hello, Linus. It's Hal. Babsy was raped yesterday, and I want you to do me a little favor. That's not possible. How is she? Mm, pretty bad. She's in the hospital right now. Sounds like a story, yeah. Who did it? A gang of bastard hoodlums. I know. Where to find them. And you want us to help you, is that it? Yeah, that's it. Would you? Of course. You've got to tell us where we can find them. I think they're celebrating a funeral tonight at the amphitheater. We gotta give those pigs a good whipping. Yeah, we'll meet you there. You can count on us. We're gonna teach them a lesson they won't forget. I knew I could count on you, Linus. Well, that's what friends are for. My boys and I will be happy to take care of them. How many are they? Five or six, but pretty dangerous. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll give them a very special treatment. You know our methods. <laughs> I'm just waiting for the night to come. All right, we'll meet there. At eight. Yeah, tonight will be a good show at the amphitheater. See you. 
So, Tom, floppy cocks, explain. I can't explain anything about this one, to be honest. Just when you think you've seen it all, a film like Mad Fox comes along <laughs> and just blows you away. I'll just skip to the end for a moment, because at the end of it, I just sat for a moment in disbelief as to what I'd just watched and how it ended. And there's just so much to talk about in this one that I really don't know where to begin, but I guess I'll just try and give an overall view of whether I enjoyed it or not. And in a funny old way, I did, but it was purely for the the kind of what factor of it that did they just do that factor it's terribly made terribly dubbed nothing in it is good the fight scenes are shit it gets a bit grisly every now and again but so okay the car chases are just laughable there's no logic to any of it it is ridiculous and it is awful but i was kind of entertained by it to a degree just for purely what the fuck factor so we'll get into the details of it but that's my kind of overview so how about you <laughs> it sounded like you wrenched that out from the uh, the very bottom of your soul tom <laughs> to get that out it's it, it, oh, this is a this has to be a standout on the section three list and on this show mm. so far but for, for all the wrong reasons really it is uh it, it is a dreadful but there, there, are, there are a lot of moments in it where I had very much the same feeling. Where I'm just sitting there thinking, what, did, did that just happen? But then how does that connect to that bit? Because, but then that happened. But then why are these things happening? And why is that happening? And why are there so many naked men? <laughs> you know, there are just so many different things happening. It really is a everything and the kitchen sink kind of film because they throw everything in. You know, there's no focus to any of it at all. Like you said, there it took four people to write this. I mean, it must have been four people writing a completely different story, and then somehow mm. they were able to, you know, sort of meld the thing together. It is in no way a good film, and yet, like you say, I, I was entertained by it. You know, there is there are mm. so many problems with it that it and i think it very nearly goes into so bad it's good territory but i think it's just got some sort of fundamental flaws at the the root of it that, that kind of stop it from from getting there but yeah what this is bonkers isn't it right from the get-go i mean our opening scene is our hero in quotation marks because let's face it He's a dick. Oh, he's a twat. He's in his weird-looking muscle car with this young lady. And at first, I thought it was a cop who knocked on the window or something. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's just this guy. It actually turns out to be a member of a biker gang. <laughs> just starts giving hell shit through the window for, for no reason. Fair enough, it's a biker gang, an evil biker gang, and he's doing that. So Hal gives him a bit of shit back. The biker spits at him. And when Hal drives off, he sort of his car turns a corner, and for no reason at all, <laughs> a motorbike uh, just drives straight ahead into a car, and a dummy driver <laughs> flies off it. Yeah, and it's like th there's really no reason for it, and there's no reason for a lot of things in the movie. But you know, right from the get go, you're, you're just sitting there going, "Okay, right." 
and it's this that's the catalyst for the the sort of rape aspect but we'll get to that in a minute because then they go for a nice drink don't they (laughs) yes they do and uh i mean let's be honest about this i mean hal is a perv isn't he i mean a major perv. i mean he's sitting there with his 18 year old girl supposedly 18 year old girl and it, several times he kind of he very strongly implies that he's been waiting for her to turn eighteen because he you know he mentions it a couple of times like oh, oh yeah eighteen years old now and he's so like pervy and slimy and and not a very nice man he's got a weird face and he makes weird facial expressions through the whole movie but already you're thinking okay I mean what's it I, I wouldn't have even have been surprised if he'd put like a pill in that girl's drink because he just is that sort of you know, that sliming. We've had, like you say, what happens at the beginning of the film. We're already thinking, okay, I mean, this is the dorkiest looking biker gang you've seen in the film so far. Yeah. Like you say, I mean, this guy's supposed to be the leader of the gang. He looks like Bob Hoskins uh, and is not very intimidating, it has to be said. And like you say, the, why does the guy crash? I don't understand. Like, he doesn't, Hal doesn't touch him. He doesn't bump him with the car. The guy just no. presumably just is not looking where he's going and off he goes. So we get the scene at the nightclub there. And then they, oh, 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 I was going to say they leave the nightclub, but before they leave the nightclub, Tom, something strange happens. We get a a scene of people dancing mm. for no apparent reason. And it's almost like they filmed it, they filmed it for something else completely and just jammed it in there because it has no relevance to anything that's going on in the film whatsoever. It's just people dancing. People dancing in a very synchronised fashion. It's like someone putting on a show, isn't it? Yeah. And it's like we're meant to believe that... Yeah, this is what happens. You you go to the club. You you know you do some uh, synchronized dancing with everyone else in the in the club, and it's just. But the thing is, it, it's it's quite elongated, isn't it? Mm. it? I mean, I can't remember for sure, but it must go on for a, a couple of minutes because it felt like it. Just like okay, we're going to point the camera at these people dancing now, so just just enjoy. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and it's it's strange because at the end of the dancing sequence, the guy who's holding the girl at the very front there, he looks into the camera like ta-da! You know, it's like <laughs> it's a, what a strange moment it is, and it's especially strange because it's quite a sort of light-hearted moment followed by something that's sort of you know vaguely disturbing. Uh, mm. What happens there, Tom? You know, because Hal has committed the cardinal sin of driving round a corner and someone crashed. The biker gang catch up with them, and unfortunately, this is where the the rape things happen. And you know, it's not it's not pleasant, but it's it's just so poorly filmed and and done that I don't I don't think it's quite got the impact of of something with it. You know, uh, maybe the rape in the next film that we'll talk about. But the young lady who he's with unfortunately gets raped by the the leader of the biker gang, and Hal gets the crap kicked out of him. And it's not treated very sensitively, is it really? I mean, Hal is, throughout the movie, Hal is just a, you know, he's a dick and mm. has no real regard really for anybody except himself, perhaps his family, which we'll get to later, but really is a very sort of self-centered person. Doesn't seem to show any particular concern for the girl. We don't, we don't see her again. Uh, he, you know, we then sort of cut to the next the next morning and he's come out of hospital. Obviously, they've bandaged his wounds and everything. We do hear that she's in hospital. And he decides to do something, he decides to enact revenge in some fashion. And what he does is is speak to his friend who's a teacher at martial arts school, who is also the director of the movie, by the way. Really? Okay. Yeah. And uh, first of all, I I would just say this. If there's a martial arts school out there that is prepared 
the, the Sifu at the school is prepared to take all of his students out of the school to go and beat someone up. It's not a very good martial arts school. In general, in martial arts schools, they do teach you self-defense, not go out and kick the shit out of a gang. It's not really the sort of thing that would normally happen at a martial arts school, but they go out there. And there's this sort of place there where they're mourning the death of this one guy who couldn't look where he was fucking going. Uh, nothing to do with Hal, of course. And Hal's there. And all these guys come in and wear the brightest white suits imaginable. Mm. And they come in and they... <laughs> and there's some martial arts choreography, isn't there, Tom, <laughs> that goes on. And it's really good. I know you love a martial arts film, Chris. So, uh, you know, I knew you'd enjoy this section, but... It's really good. These guys in their white suits sort of trot down the stairs and it's the most, the well, the least impactful fight scene I've ever seen in a movie because it just seems that they, they you know, they've got their, their kata or whatever, the you know, the sequence of moves, and they'll just stand there and run through them. <laughs> vaguely in front of these other guys you know and the other guys just sort of try and react to them like fall over and stuff like that you, you really need to see it to believe it yeah i mean we criticize or i i criticize firecracker which is a film that came ages ago, but this has to this takes the cake you know i apologize to the people i mean at least they were trying a little bit here yeah. not so much and i was beginning to think oh no don't tell me this is going to be a really lame martial arts movie where this guy you know gets trained in martial arts and he runs around he can't fight and it's just you know an hour and a half of, of nonsense but but no the martial arts kind of ends here uh, we get the 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 way the scene is capped off is uh very interesting basically this guy bob hoskins uh not the actual bob Cos- bob hoskins by the way but say a, a lookalike uh, gets sort of pushed out. It doesn't really seem to fight that much against it and gets the old will ear cut off. Mm. And so they cut off the old schlonger and then they stuff it in his mouth, Tom. Because uh, that's what martial artists do, Chris. Mm. That's right. You know, self-defence and all that, Tom. Yes, the old uh, lop off the cough and put in the mouth move. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a classic for a reason. So you're beginning to see that, okay, we've already got sleazy guy lame biker gang uh, with a neo-Nazi bent, by the way, which we'll get into as we go along. Uh, mm. We've got, uh, yeah, so sleazy guy, loves to sleep with young women, has no particular regard for anybody except himself. Lame biker gang, martial artists. Well, what we're going to get in the next scene or the next big scene is the, the remnants of the biker gang deciding to take their revenge on the martial arts school. Uh, they, <laughs> they do this by... Uh, going on in there when the students are training and throwing a grenade in there the mm. least effective grenade of all time tom yes quite quite possibly it's um because they they have to go in and finish them off don't they yeah exactly and and, and all it seems to do is just knock them out it doesn't destroy mm. it doesn't destroy anything uh it all it pretty much does is just sort of knock them all down so they can be shot yeah. Very strange thing. Well, they managed to, to coax the incredibly loyal karate teacher uh, into giving them the whereabouts of Hal. Not a very good friend. And then they stab him to death. And so what we get now is is them visit. Basically, they're really annoyed with Hal, which is understandable mm. because, you know, they uh, he turned a corner, Tom. Don't You don't turn a corner in front of a gang because if you do that, vengeance will be laying upon you. 
and uh, very dangerous very dangerous and so the biker gang they they head there little kid sees them you know bullying one of the guys there and uh, warns Hal and Hal manages to get away we get a car chase very good char- car chase Tom up there with the best of Bond oh I remember is this the one on the bit of waste ground yep where he drives on <laughs> uh, a car just for no reason drives up a ramp and turns over and two motorcyclists just drive on and fall off their bikes without yes. anyone touching them. That's right. I think what we're learning here, Tom, is that Hal's got some sort of force field <laughs> around his car and he's somehow able to just sort of make people do things. They sort of bounce into some sort of energy shield that we don't see and it sends them toppling. It's the only explanation, mm. unless it's just his, you know, his manly power that somehow knocks them over. But we get a moment of insanely bad logic where we meet... The character whose name I can't remember, but she's a girl. Uh, so he, mm-hmm. she's already in the good books with old Hal. And she's rolling around with this, frankly, not impressive looking dude. He's, you know, floppy cocks are plenty. Mm-hmm. As we see, he's got his cock flopping to the wind. And he's rolling around with this girl. And she seems to be sort of quite loved up with him, or so we think. Mm. As soon as Hal drives by, she decides to, you know hitchhike as it were and uh gets into the car leaves that dude behind like he's gone you know with the poor guy with his red trunk is left out there and she decides to travel with how doesn't know him has never met him before uh he doesn't know her has never met her before decides to take a woman that he's known for three hours at this point by the time he gets there to his parents mansion well the thing is that the bit that is even more laughable is she's in the car for about 30 seconds before he says i'm just going to my parents house would you like to come along <laughs> yeah and she's like yes okay so <laughs> off they go yep. and he gets to his parents house with this lovely jolly old couple and uh they have lots of sex there but the thing is about the sex scenes in this film now in any other film it would be you know they get together they kiss for a little bit maybe she takes her top off you know <laughs> That sort of thing. Uh, but in this film, you see the whole thing to completion. Now, it's not hardcore, and that's not what I'm saying. You will just see his pasty white arse pumping away <laughs> until he's finished. Yeah. You know, it, it just doesn't set it up and cut away. It's like, okay, we're having sex now, and we're having more sex, and we're carrying on, and I've just come. I thought you were making a statement there, Tom, at the end of that. I've just come. I, was like, I didn't know I didn't know whether the two were connected or not. Uh, no, you're right, but Hal, Hal ain't got no time for that. He's got no time for development, Tom, or romantic development of any kind. He's going to get in there, and it, it is softcore, but there's a, I've got a feeling that they probably were having sex. I, I've just... I've got that feeling, Tom. I, I, I know human beings, and I can just sort of tell that there's... You know, there's a little bit of penetration going on there, but we don't we don't see any of it. But, you know, there's a bit of boob squeezing, you know, a bit of uh, bouncing around and all the rest of it. And mm-hmm. so already we've got this sort of mishmash of different things. Like for, for a while, it's sort of a gang thing. And then it's a it's a sleazy kind of sex thing. And then it's a, a softcore porn. It's a martial arts thing. Like, What is it? You know, it's a sort of mishmash of all different things. And there's no. There's no flow to it. It just is. It doesn't help that, I mean, we haven't really spoken about him that much, but Jose or Jose, I think I would say Jose, uh, Grace, Grass rather, uh, is not a very good actor. 
No. The dubbing in this is really, really bad. I mean, the the acting in the film itself, and we don't know. It's always difficult to tell with dubbing exactly what the original performance was like. But based on his facial expression, I'm going to say not good. But the dubbing, this is some of the worst dubbing, isn't it? It is. It's the kind of dubbing where you will have one person talking and maybe in their native language, uh, the back and forth makes some sense, but you will have one person talking like... So I'm going, you know, I'm going to the country to meet my parents and blah, blah, blah. And obviously the girl says something on screen. So whoever dubs it, it feels like they've just made it up as they're going along. Yes, that's very good. I would like that. That's true. You know, and they're just coming out with stuff to justify the character on screen's mouth talking. But it doesn't particularly make any sense as to what the, the person's saying. I mean, at one point... I think in the nightclub scene earlier on, Hal says something like, yes, we've both been drinking lots of alcohol and I'm very drunk now, you know, or something (laughs) like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but this might be a fault of the dubbing. I don't know. Well, I got the impression from listening to it that it was probably read by actors who weren't actually watching the movie. Uh, were just sort of reading the lines out and recording them, but had no sort of context for how the lines were meant to be read. Because it's really bad. I mean, I've I've heard a lot of bad dubbing from my, you know, many years of watching old martial arts movies, where they were frequently dubbed over by British people putting on American accents. That's what used to happen mm. a lot of the time. That's why you'd get, so you know the Tai Chun style? You know, it would be that sort of very overdramatic American sounding thing, because it was normally a British person doing it. But I've got a feeling that these lines, because there's no passion to any of it, you know. It's not an impassioned sort of vocal performance at all. So I've got, I've got a feeling that they were just sort of reading lines in a room and then they, uh, you know, stuck them on the film later on. Not good, you know. But the, the performances themselves don't look assured, you know. Obviously, we can't hear the original language, but they're just... There's something about this guy, you know, Jose Grass, who he just... There's something that's not a short. His face is weird. Like, he makes weird facial expressions. They're a bit sort of sleazy and a bit, you know, he doesn't look like he's sure of himself. Um, it's it's hard to say. I mean, he's, yeah, he's just a terrible actor. And, I mean, one bit of dialogue comes to mind when he does pick up the girl and, and he's like, yes, so I'm going to my parents' house in the country. Would you like to come along? And she's like, yes, I would like that. And then he goes, my mother's an invalid. She fell from a horse. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Oh, anyway, so they go to the parents' house. They have lots of sex to completion. And then, unfortunately, the biker gang catch up with them again, don't they? That's right. Now, we haven't seen the leader for a while, the guy who got the old nobbler chopped off. So we don't, you know, we don't know what's happened to him. But there's kind of a new guy who's leading him along. And the dorkiest gang member, I kind of does a bit like this. And he uh, he comes in. All the gang members come in. There's a little bit of graphic violence here. You know, uh, there's a, a guy who gets a pair of shears through the mouth, Friday the 13th, part five style. Uh, we see the aftermath of it rather than the actual, but then we see the aftermath of it in in Friday the Thirteenth Part Five. Actually, now that I think about it, because it was cut by the MPAA, wasn't it? But uh, but yeah, so they they come in, they basically they invade the house, and they kill everybody there except for obviously because Hal's out there shagging his woman, and uh, who he's only known for one day, and uh, yeah, they they kill everybody in there, and they you know they gut the maid. And then there's the cook that's in there who's got an hilarious Cockney accent, which needs to be heard to be believed. Yes. Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, he led them there to begin with. So 
it's kind of his fault. Like, he's on the run from them, and he just says, you know what I'm going to do? People are chasing me. I'm going to drive to my parents' house. It's not not a great plan, is it? You know, the police, perhaps, would have been a better choice. Yes, they're very absent in this film, considering what goes on, but, yeah. Yeah, not a lot of police involvement in, in any of this, really. <laughs> uh, police, nowhere to be found. But it it is, uh, you know, you would think it's... Got, Maybe it's quite a brutal scene, you know. It's a, it should be quite sad. But his acting and the dubbing is just like, <laughs> and you're thinking, <laughs> you're not selling me on this, buddy. But this is when he goes all Charlie Bronson, doesn't he, Tom? That's right. He makes up his mind, like Newman in Aftermath, that he's going to go and get this gang. But he he needs to find them, so he goes into this bar. I think he gets a bit of info from a local that or something that they're in this bar. Or so he goes in, and there's this old drunk talking to the barmaid, and uh, Hal goes in, gets himself a drink, and it's quite comical because he's just sitting there having his drink, and all of a sudden he just grabs the barmaid's arm and says, "Where are the gang of hoodlums?" You know, he's he's barely said a word to this woman, and he's got her back in the arm. Where are the gang of hoodlums? And she's like, "Go away, I don't know." So he carries on having his drink and just leaves it at that, and. Um, out of nowhere, he just assaults this woman. <laughs> at this point, I have to say, I mean, I, I didn't sort of say it while we were discussing it, but at, at this point in the movie, I was quite bored uh, because mm. I think in the middle part when he gets to the mansion, I think it sags quite a bit. And uh, I, I found myself thinking, oh, I'm a bit fed up with this, really. You were sort of assaulting me with all this weird madcap stuff and now, you know, hazy camera and awful music and people making love and it just is... I'm kind of losing it a little bit here, but... You know, when he does that, it's because it comes out of the blue, doesn't it? You know, he's been told, well, mm. they may know where the gang members are, but nobody specifically says to him, that barmaid knows yeah. where the gang members are, but he just assumes. So he goes in, you know, grabs her forcefully, like an idiot. And, uh, but anyway, he, as it transpires, she actually was protecting one of the gang members. Now, it's the sort of dorky kind of leader guy that we've been talking about. And we get a fantastic scene. Uh, now, I have to say before this, you know, we've seen a lot of nudity in this. It's quite surprising. There's a lot of male nudity in this film, isn't there? There's surprisingly probably more than any than any other film we've seen on this list so far. That's right. And there's some very, very 70s, 80s, um, full Thatchers, shall we say it that way? <laughs> Before the days of uh, male grooming, the you know some lovely lustrous um, <laughs> thatchers are on show. You know it's like everyone's got a sporran on or something, just <laughs> yeah. not a kilt. There's a lot of bush, Tom. There's a lot of bushwhacking going okay. on. There. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, now I have to go in for the lowest common denominator way of doing it, Tom. And it's there's a lot of bush. There's a lot of seventies bush going on. And there's in particular this guy who's sitting on the toilet earlier on had been doing high kicks in the air, just flopping that cock around. He loved it. Uh, mm. But he's sitting on the t- he's sitting on the toilet, Tom, and Hal comes in and he's like, "Look, tell me, tell me where the rest of them are." And he's sitting there now. The old phallus is in f- full view, by the way, because like we say, they they don't care in this movie. They will show you, and I, I admire it in a strange way that there's a little bit of equality as far as that goes. We get you know, there's a there's a bit of stuff there for the for the men. There's a bit of stuff there for the ladies. There's a bit of stuff for whatever you're into, whether you're into penis, bush, a combination of the two, an amalgamation of the two. It's all there. Uh, but this guy's sitting on the toilet and he's scared out of his mind because you don't think about it, Tom. I mean, really. 
being caught on the toilet and sort of being threatened with your life it's a very vulnerable position to be in isn't it well exactly you know it's it's uh it's tough to defend yourself in, in a situation like that basically what happens is i always wonder in the situation when somebody dies on the toilet have they wiped because mm. I know in my, if somebody was going to kill me on the toilet, I would ask them if they came in and said, look, I'm going to kill you now. I would say, look, can you just wait a minute? Let me wipe first. Because I don't want to be found that way, Tom. Uh, no. This guy luckily has, you know, I like to be clean. Uh, this guy luckily has no such trouble because what happens is Hal gets very angry, uh, pulls the pin out of a grenade and throws it into the toilet while the guy's sitting on it. And the guy explodes again. Not a very effective grenade. It should really blow. Really, it should blow the entire place up. Really, or certainly a big portion. Of it, but it doesn't. But what it does do is blow that guy into pieces. So basically, you know, Hal goes on, you know, on the path of revenge, doesn't he? And tries to take these gang members down one by one using a shotgun. He's not great at it. He's not the Punisher, is he? He's not. No. The the thing with the violence in this movie, I mean, it, it seems like. What's the point in criticising it anymore? Because everything's shit. But it, there's no impact to it, I find. Maybe the odd bit here and there, but there's no impact to any of the violence. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you in, as far as the you know the impact of the violence. I think there are a few bits here and there. But overall, no. I, I just think it's... I think one of the key problems is it, it sort of sags in the middle and picks up a bit towards the end. But I just don't like Hal. You know? And I think that's a, a problem for me. You know, as as... Lacking charisma as he was, Newman in Aftermath, I did sort of kind of like him. You know, I thought he was a, you know, I thought he was a, a decent chap, even if he did yeah. write himself to be the hero of all heroes. Whereas House just a bit of a dick, and I, so I, I, I never felt f- fully invested in that. You're absolutely right, and maybe that's why the end, which we will get to in a moment, is uh, maybe that's why it ends that way because none of them really deserve to live. Yeah, um, but. There is one more kill, and it's uh, one of the gang members goes to this this sort of uh, prostitute, dominatrix, whatever she is, and he's having a little session there, and she's giving him a load of grief uh, and stuff like that. And they're, they're sort of dressed as Nazis, aren't they? Yeah, and she's, she's saying, I loathe you. I loathe you. And, and there's people in the real world who are into that kind of thing. But So, okay, fair enough. But there is this Nazi element to the gang, and I, I don't. It's not really spoken about in the film. But to me, it seems like they're not truly Nazis. They're just vile people, and they will wear what is offensive. You know what I mean? It's like I'm not sure. Maybe that's thinking too much into a film that that is just a big load of bollocks. But you know what I mean? It's they're not really Nazis. They just like offending people. Well, what's interesting is that I didn't actually. I didn't pick up on this until I read it on the internet, and then I was sort of sort of thinking, "Oh, that, that's true." It the, the all of the actors who you know the, playing the gang members, they only wear the Nazi they only wear the Nazi symbol, uh, the swastika when they're indoors. They never right. they never wear it when they're outdoors, presumably because they didn't want anybody to to walk by or something and see them all dressed up as Nazis. So <laughs> so they only wear them indoors. So you know perhaps that's an element of it. I just think yeah, they were trying to be. Offensive, just wear the most offensive kind of, you know, propaganda bullshit kind of symbol. You know, the swastika was actually, believe it or not, you know, before the Nazis took hold of it, you know, kind of a cool symbol. And then it was unfortunately taken by Mr. Hitler and uh, perverted in that way. But uh, yeah, strange seeing this with the dominatrix there and uh, Hal comes in, kills her, kills the guy. 
and uh, after a tussle and um so that's the, sort of the end of that really and then we get what we think is the closing of the, you know how he's tired you know he's battle worn goes home and inside the house is of course the girl who uh, he's known for not very long and by the way we should say not only does Hal have the girl the 18 year old at the beginning there's another girl later on when he goes home who's sleeping in his bed who that's right who he yeah. also has sex with of course and then of course this other girl so i mean he goes through him like he like you wouldn't be like a you know pack of matches and uh, so he goes in there and the girl runs to him you know sort of kind of screaming you know this guy's here and he says he's gonna blow up the place and it's the original leader the guy who got his his tabernacle cut off and he oh. and he's got a a bomb there and he's got a button a big red button which is mm. uh the way it should be done with a bomb tom i find is it just put a big red comedy button on it and that tells you everything you need to know you press that button and it's going to detonate and we he's threatening look i'm, I'm going to take us all out i'm going to take everybody out and probably the one of my favorite bits really about this ending is that he just as you're about to press the button how how shouts no <laughs> and then um exactly in that way and then of course he presses the button and it explodes and that's the end of the movie basically everybody in the movie died yes in a big cartoon explosion yes and quite frankly i'm glad they're all dead because they were all shitty people what a bizarre film i mean what can, what can we say tom you know it's it is genuinely awful but there are you know there are entertaining bits aren't there i think we've come across it before though where it's not quite bad enough in the right way where it's like right get a load of people around let's all get pissed and watch you know uh, mad foxes you know yeah. what i mean it's i don't think it's that kind of thing but maybe another watch would would put that more into perspective but would i want to waste 70 odd minutes of my life watching it again <laughs> i don't know but you know i'm glad i watched it once it was an experience would you take 77 minutes out of your Fallout 4 times and watch it again? No, what a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, but at least it's only 77 minutes long. Yeah. But it's, it still felt long, you know, at times, especially during that middle section. I don't know, Tom. I don't know how to feel about it. It was almost there, you know, the sort of the first kind of half of it. It was almost there into that so bad it's good territory. And then it started to get really boring. And then, you know, by the end of it, it kind of, limp to the end and had a very unexpected ending and i'll give it credit for that but yeah not a particularly good lead character somebody i didn't like very much at all and uh and a really bad actor to boot and just not yeah just not it just wasn't really doing it for me to be honest you know i thought i was expecting based on how bonkers and it is bonkers i mean it is truly insane whoever worked at nobody they had no idea what they were doing at all because it goes in all sorts of different directions they throw everything in that they can I just think the end result of it, it's you know, it's almost there, but it's not, it's not a troll two or a uh, uh, invasion of the blood farmers or anything like that. It ju no. it, it just is, it's pretty weak, really. But it, but at the same time, it, it's one of those things where I almost think that if you can get hold of it, you kind of have to see it in a way because it, it is an experience, and it it's a memorable experience. But don't go in expecting it to be. You know, I don't think it quite makes it into that so bad it's good character category. Not for me, anyway. Okay, I don't think I've got anything more to say about Mad Foxes because it's just bonkers. But 
strangely enjoyable sometimes. And that's my final word on it. Yeah, exactly. It's a very, 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 very mad world. And this is one of the maddest things in it. <laughs> it's not very mm-hmm. good at the same time. All right. So let me read you some trivia, Tom, because I know you always enjoy it. Uh, yes. Now, lead star Jose Grass, one of the best actors we've ever seen, has another or had another notable role in the famously bad uh, movie Zombie Creeping Flesh, also known as Hell of the Living Dead, which was released in 1980. Now, Grace played a, or Grass rather, played a Lieutenant Mike London in the film. Perhaps the most notable thing about the movie is that it shamelessly steals Goblin soundtrack for Dawn of the Dead, uh, the George Romero film, and uh, uses it liberally throughout. Uh, if you remember, I believe... Romero used a bit of that soundtrack in in his cut and then Argento used a lot more of it in uh, his version if I remember right because Dario Argento of course did a cut of the movie where he basically cut out all the character development (laughs) and just left in all the uh, action as you would expect him to. Grace also had... Why do I keep saying Grace? Grace also had a role in Lucio Fulci's fantasy film Conquest in 1983. Have you ever seen that one, Tom? I have not, no. No, neither have I, really. It's kind of one I want to check out, really. I'd like to see a Fulci fantasy film. Have you ever seen Hell of the Living Dead? It rings a bell. I probably did when I would just buy anything and watch anything, you know, but it's... uh... It's gone from my memory if I have. Yeah, me too. It was a, if I remember rightly, it's a Bruno Mattei movie and he also directed, it comes in, a, I've got it and it came in a double pack with a film called Rats, which I think is also a Bruno Mattei movie, which is also utter rubbish, but uh, kind of entertaining in the, you know, sort of cheesy way. Uh, director Paul Grau, or Paul Gray as he's credited here, has an uncredited role in this film as the karate teacher who helps Hal out but meets his end not too long after with a knife to the chest. Now Grau would go on to direct one more film, a German softcore porn comedy. Uh, kind of not surprising, really, based on this. He worked as a production manager in the early 80s on similar films, you know, softcore porn stuff, and then his credits dry up until 1990 when he had a role as an actor in a TV movie called Lost in the Barrens. He has no credits after that. Now, actor Eric Falk, who plays one of the over-the-top gang members and who meets his end uh, sitting on a toilet when Hal throws a grenade into it, had uh, something of a decent career in sex and exploitation movies. Most notably, he collaborated with strange and deadly show favourite Jess Franco on uh, several films, including 1977's Ilsa, The Wicked Warden, a sequel to the two Ilsa films before it. So there you go, Tom. Jess Franco continues to haunt us, even on films Mm. that seem to have nothing to do with him. Uh, Finally, two tracks from the popular German hard rock band Crocus appear in this film. The songs uh, Easy Rocker and Celebration bookend the film. Crocus had some US success in the early to mid-80s with the albums Headhunter and the Blitz. Crocus, uh, props to that, they're actually a pretty good band. So, um, you know, check them out if you haven't. Those are pretty good albums. The film was released in a Blu-ray DVD combo pack by a German company called Illusions Unlimited in 2013. This version has a remastered picture, full-colour booklet and an audio commentary. However, the commentary is in the German language, uh, no subtitles. The book is also in the German language and... uh, there's no English translation there, so um, you have to make do with that if you don't understand the German language. This edition of the film is now out of print, although Diabolic DVD does seem to have copies of it priced at twenty two ninety nine. That release is region free. I have to say, you know, if you can find this film somewhere, uh, you know, give it a go. But I would, I don't, wouldn't recommend paying money for it really because I don't. It blows my mind that it's on a Blu-ray. <laughs> it absolutely blows my mind. You know. Someone has remastered this and put it on a Blu-ray. Yep, and it's crazy. Yeah, and it's almost out of print as well, if you can believe that, Tom. So you know, people have been buying it. I would like to listen to the commentary if it was in English, just to—I mean, if it is the director, just to hear what he's got to say about it. You know, 
I don't think it. I don't believe it is the director. I think it's uh, two film critics or something like that. Two oh, German right, film okay. critics. Yeah, but it's not in English, so you can't. So <laughs> that's the end <laughs> of uh, the Mad Foxes. Yeah, truly bonkers. Okay, so let's have a look at something else. Maybe something a bit less bonkers. I'll tell you about a little film called Street Killers, also known as Mad Dog Killer, Beast with a Gun. Ferocious Beast with a Gun. <laughs> really Ferocious Beast with a Gun? No. And Wild Beasts with Machine Guns, amongst others. Incredibly Ferocious Wild Beasts with Machine Guns. <laughs> Released in 1977, directed by Sergio Grico and written by Sergio Grico. We open at the tail end of a prison break. Four prisoners have escaped via a getaway vehicle. The group, led by infamous criminal Nanny Vitali, played by Helmut Berger. <laughs> <laughs> Helmut Berger. <laughs> they force a prison guard to come with him, but chuck him out of the moving vehicle after beating him severely. They come across another vehicle and decide to block its way, removing the passengers and taking it for themselves. Driving to a gas station, they top up on fuel and then beat the owner of the station to within an inch of his life before again escaping. Inspector Santini, played by Richard Harrison, has been charged with leading the hunt for Vitali and his accomplices. His dossiers of information prove just how dangerous Vitali is, with the escaped criminal having murdered a prison guard and having attempted several jailbreaks in the past. Meanwhile, Vitaly and his men seek out the man responsible for getting them caged up in the first place. They find the police informant, Babareshi, kidnap him and his girlfriend, Juliana, played by Marissa Mel, and take them to a remote location, intent on making them suffer. It's here that Vitaly displays his true wickedness, raping Juliana as Babareshi helplessly watches. Content with what he's done, Vitaly turns to the informant who ratted him out, and beats him almost to death. His accomplices dig a hole and drop Barbareshi into it and cover him with lime as he screams his final breaths. Off they go again with Giuliana unwillingly along for the ride. Santini suspects that Giuliana may know something about Vitali, so he has his officers keep watch over the hotel she's staying at. It's here that we discover Vitali is using Juliana as a means to rob a factory owned by her father. He continues to rape and use her until she's finally had enough, confessing to Inspector Santini that she's been used by the deadly criminal. Offering her police protection, Santini arranges for officers to take the place of the factory staff in order to trap the criminals. However, the bust goes wrong, and Vitali and his boys make their exit with several hostages. Though the hostage situation ends with no casualties, Vitali is now fully aware that Juliana has sold him out to the police, and he plans deadly revenge against her. So begins a battle between Vitali and Inspector Santini, a battle that is about to become very, very personal indeed. Do you mind telling me what this is all about? Read this. You know who we are. It was you who got me set up. And now we're here. These fellas are all friends. And they all hate a squealer. I never heard of you. I swear in my father's grave. You fellas want someone else. <laughs> no fooling. Who does your dirty work? You know what you got coming? 
An informer's gotta die. Understand? You fucking asshole. You're finished. No! Yes. I'm gonna kill your friend. And I'll do it very, very slow. Gonna inflict much pain. You're gonna hear a guy beg for his life, lady, because he betrayed Nani Vitali. Read the paper. <coughs> Read it. <coughs> what? Nani Vitali, the dangerous criminal. He's already killed two people. You know what he's known as? The Mad Dog Murderer. Street Killers Chris, Mad Dog Killer. What do you think of this one? This is all right. You know, this is... Uh, I quite like this one. You know, this is... It's a sort of gritty, hard-boiled Italian thriller. I think what makes this work throughout it, despite having an incredibly silly name, uh, is Helmut Berger as <laughs> the villainous uh, Nanny Vitale, who I think is is a fantastic screen presence. Now, I'm going to read some trivia about him later, of course, but he's a, quite a well-respected actor, actually, in Austria, and, and I think he's got quite a magnetic screen presence. I, I don't think it's a great film. I think it, it is... You know, it doesn't quite... There's something missing from it. It's funny, we've got a piece of feedback that kind of says the same thing. There's, there's a, an extra bit of oomph that's kind of missing there, but I liked it. I thought it was okay. You know, I think it, it's got potential. It reminds me very much of a film that's quite a bit better than this called Rabid Dogs, which is directed by Mario Bava, who, of course, is one of the great masters of, of horror cinema and uh, one, of the great, one, of the great, one of the greatest directors of all time, in my opinion. And he made a film that mostly takes place inside a car uh, called mm. rabid dogs and it and it's it's a, and it's better than this you know but it, i think immediately tommy you can see that there's a huge leap forward in terms of filmmaking here compared to you know what, what i can't remember what the guy's name paul grouse work on on the mad foxes and this it, it kind of you know it makes sense because the director who who made this uh, sergio grico i think you said uh, is a very experienced director. I think it's a lot more competent, and there's a couple of little sort of flashes of style and things like that in there. I I liked it. You know, I thought it was it was it was decent. There's quite a following for these uh, sort of hard boiled Italian crime films as well. Yeah. What do they call them? Policier or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't something remember. like that. Yeah. And I, I've seen a few. I've kind of dipped my toe into it, but they they don't stick with me as much as the horror stuff. So I've probably forgotten more than I can remember. There's one I watched recently called uh, The Heroin Busters that I think Franco Nero was in, which was quite enjoyable. So I do enjoy them. I'm just not that into them. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's one of those, if, if one really is very good, then great. But as a whole, it, it's just not something that I dabble in that much. Saying that, though, I very much like the style of it, the, the grit to it, the edge to it, the violence has more impact. And what I love about these Italian films is that with an American movie or a British movie, there's a line that you know will never be crossed most of the time. But with the Italian stuff, you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, they will kill anyone. They will, uh, you know, do it in the most vile way. Everyone is fair game. And I think this is a, a decent sort of uh, a decent solid movie that I did enjoy some pacing issues, though. And yeah. that's really what probably stops it being top tier for me. There are a couple of moments here where I, I think 
they could have cut it down a bit, you know. Like, I mean, let's start, let's sort of start at the beginning of it. We get this these four prisoners who've escaped from prison and uh, quite easily by the looks of it and they, there's a getaway vehicle <laughs> waiting for them they just come out the front they door pretty much they just come out the front door you know uh, quite easily nobody shoots at them um, as far as I can remember I don't think so anyway and they, there's a get, getaway vehicle waiting for them perfectly planned prison escape and uh, you know they capture this uh, prison guard and, and then we get introduced to this guy Nanny Vitali and I just think this guy is, has got a very good you know played by Helmut Berger, who I, I just think has got a great screen presence. I think he's got a good face for the screen. But as it turns out, you know, because of his popularity in, in Austria, that sort of makes sense, really. But, uh, you know, he's just beating the crap out of this prison guard, and then they chuck him out of the car. So at first, I was thinking, because the, the first sort of couple of people they meet along the way, they don't kill. And I'm thinking, okay, these guys, you know, they, they might sort of beat someone up or something, but they're not going to kill people. And... That gets disproved very quickly, doesn't it? We kind of meet Inspector Santini as well, don't we? He just sort of happens upon them. And uh, there's a bit of a car chase going on and Santini's shooting his gun out the window and stuff like that. And, you know, I like I like the locations here. And yeah. the the thing about the, the, the Italian stuff is I think pacing is an issue in a lot of them. But sometimes a combination of things will, you know, still make it okay. I mean, let's not let's not mince words here. Some of Dario Argento's the stuff that we know as as very good Argento stuff. It's it still has quite a languid pace to it. You know, deep red at times. Yeah. It, it, I love the film, but. It, it can be very slow. Yeah. I mean, Deep Red, Deep Red's about half an hour too long, isn't it, really? I mean, it's over two hours long, you know, and, and it's, uh, yeah, it, it, there are, there's, there's a point where it's like, okay, this sort of could have ended now, but then it carries on for another half an hour. Yeah. So I think it must just be that what was happening at that time. But anyway, I've forgotten what I was talking about. But yes, I, I, I guess our, our main, you know, when we really see how, what a horrible character Vitali is, is when he, uh, goes and speaks to Barbareschi and Giuliana, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to say, Tom, but just quickly before we sort of carry on with that, um, you forgot a wonderful moment here where uh, Santini, of course, is chasing the the prisoners uh, in a car, and Nanny shoots about four bullets at the car, and <laughs> and it explodes, <laughs> which I'm fairly sure wouldn't happen unless you happen to hit the fuel tank. You'd have to have very good aim. Uh, but Santini sort of knows, doesn't he? He's like, well, he's hit the car four times. I better jump out now. And, of course, the car explodes. I just had to bring that up because it's one of those <laughs> things. Like, it, it's the same thing happens in uh, The Mad Foxes where Hal shoots a shotgun at some guy on a motorcycle and the motorcycle just explodes. You know, it's just this That's right. <laughs> remarkable thing. But, yeah, so we get to this scene where they sort of go out to this clearing and you've got Nanny Vitali there, who you can tell right away, okay, this is not a very nice guy. So we've got Barbareski there who is the as it turns out is the police informant he's the one who helped get these guys taken down and they found out about it and they're going to exact revenge on him and it, this is a very long scene actually it goes mm. on for quite a long time and there are aspects of it that i really like and there are aspects of it that i don't like uh, first of all there's a rape here and this is where we meet marissa mel who plays uh, juliana and 
Vitaly's going to have his way at the end of the day. You know, the, the guys who are with him are pretty scared of him. You can kind of tell. He's got that very sort of leading quality to him. Well, he goes off into sort of the bushes there, but still in full vision of everybody, and he proceeds to rape this girl. And it's very, very clear. It's definitely a more disturbing scene, I would say, than, than the one in in the Mad Foxes. Yeah, absolutely. Because that was... Not that you can have a comical rape scene as such, but it was just so poorly executed in every way that it didn't really have that much of an impact but this this is it's nasty isn't it yeah. it's quite vile and i don't know about you but there's a moment vitali's raped her and then i think he goes over to Barbareschi and kicks the crap out of him and then when he's walking back to juliana she's sort of by the tree and he's sort of walking over because he is a very handsome man um, yeah and he's doing this smouldering look at her, like, look at me, look what a dude I am. <laughs> and she's sort of by the tree, and she's. it was hard to know what her body language was doing at that point. I I actually thought the film was going to have her kind of go, oh, you know, Vitaly, and, and fall for him because of the way she was kind of looking, and maybe it's a problem in her performance or something, but... It was a very strange moment. I thought, oh, no, you don't want to be going here, you know, have a fallen for him, this bad boy. But was that just me? Did you get that at all? Well, I sort of, I actually kind of thought that it was, it was kind of a decent performance by Marissa Mel because you can't really get a read on her until she visits the police later on in the movie. And then we go, okay, well, she definitely is under duress through a lot of this. I thought she sort of did quite a good job of... You know, during the rape scenes, for example, she looks genuinely kind of aghast and and disgusted by what's happening. I know what you mean, though. In that scene, I, I but I was thinking, like, is Vitaly all of a sudden going to have kind of a change of heart and sort of regret that he did all of this? You know, because he was looking at her in it and the music as well. Like, I, I quite like the music in this as well. There's a couple of sort of nice, yeah, yeah a couple of nice sort of synth pieces in there that that. They don't overplay it too much, you know, and it's not bombastic like it was in Aftermath, for example. It doesn't pummel you over the head, but there's just some nice kind of soft pieces there. I definitely see what you're saying. I can I can sort of understand, because there is that moment where she's by the tree and you're thinking, well, you haven't tried to get away or anything, you know, which she probably could have done, really, because they were all busy beating the crap out of Barbaretsky, you know. So uh, it, it's entirely possible that, 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 that she could have tried to make a run for it, but she's just sort of standing there and you're thinking, OK, what's what's going on but I, I don't know really I, I kind of thought Marissa Mel did a, a reasonably decent job of, of of making it difficult for me to get an exact read on what was going on in her mind until it's made clear later on. I just think in that moment she she had a look of at times it was veering towards a oh look at him you know yeah. um, the way she was sort of holding herself but but anyway so that happens they, they shove a load of lime over Barbareschi and they bury him and then they sort of um they hole up in the city don't they and Vitali is, is disguised and and stuff but we don't we don't actually see that until inspector santini follows juliana to this apartment and uh you know he goes and speaks to her and asks uh you know for help in in finding this gang well no actually it's they're looking for Barbareschi, hasn't he? Because yeah. he's gone missing. Yeah, because they know, obviously, that he was the police informant and that he's gone missing. So they're thinking, well, these guys must have gotten to him and she's his girlfriend. So, of course, they, you know, put two and two together. So uh, Santini visits Juliana at this, I think it's a hotel, and uh, visits her there. And, and here I was thinking, OK, well, again, I can't really get a read on her because she's sort of... 
you know, she's saying, well, I don't know where he is, you know, I, I, he went missing, I walked out on him, we separated and that was the end of it. And, you know, and then Santini leaves, having got kind of the information he wanted, but obviously he doesn't trust her. And then we see Vitali again. And he's, like you say, not a very convincing disguise. He's just got a couple of bits of fluff on his, uh, on his face. But uh, so, and then this is where we kind of learn that Vitali has power over this woman and she is scared for her life. He has such a hold over her that she can come and go. You know, she can go to the shops and stuff on her own. And he has such a hold over her that she will come back and, you know, he subjects her to further rape and, and stuff like that. Um, so it's it's a very sad situation that she's in. And, and I do think she plays it well in these scenes, you know, despite what I thought about that moment earlier on. I, I do think she's very good in this. Yeah, I think by this point, by the time you get to that sort of scene in the hotel there we then kind of know, yes, yeah, she is disgusted by this man and she doesn't know what to mm. do. She doesn't know how to get out of it. And, you know, this guy, is a, he's a bad, bad guy. And uh, and I think we sort of, as we, we learn as we go on, that really there is no redemption for this man at all. You know, I was thinking, would he have a change of heart at any point? Well, no, he's pretty bad and he's only going to get worse. Uh, later on, Giuliana ends up going, or Giuliana rather, ends up going to visit Santini and confesses everything. So now we get, now we know that's going to happen. And I thought there was a little bit of tension there because I'm thinking, well, Vitaly's going to find out, isn't he? And what's he going to do? And I think it's kind of here that we hear what Vitaly's plan is. He's going to use Juliana to uh, set up this raid on her father's business. And that's what she goes to the police and, and tips them off about. It's a funny thing the way... It, it really shifts its focus, the movie, you know. Yeah. There would be, if this were an American movie, and I'm not saying this is a good or a bad thing, but I would imagine that this, right, okay, the police know about the heist, the bad guys don't know that the police know about the heist, and there's going to be this sort of setup and what's going to happen when they get there. It's such an anticlimax in this one, though, because Vitaly and the gang turn up and... <laughs> Santini and a few, you know, police just kind of walk out, don't they? <laughs> just sort of like, all right, stop. You know, there's yeah. there's no finesse to this plan to catch Vitali. You know, they just let him come and then they just sort of walk out. Don't particularly try and apprehend him or subdue him in any way. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. Bit of a poor sting. Yeah, it's so bizarre because it's like, you know that. Santini has said to, to Juliana, well, look, I, you're under my protection, my extensive protection. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put some of my officers in there to pretend that they're these factory workers. So there are, there are more police officers there than there are these prisoners, including Vitali. Mm. But yet they just kind of let him stroll on in and take these females hostage and walk out. They could have, you know, they could have zapped him in the head fairly easily. You know, but it's 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 the it might be the worst police plan I've ever seen in a movie because it, <laughs> it's not well thought out at all, and it's not you know, and 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 it's funny because Santini is just like, well, we better let him get away then. It's like police officer says that, you know. I know. I, I can just imagine the meeting beforehand. Okay, we know they're going to turn up. What are we going to do? Why don't we just turn up at the same time and see what happens? You know, yeah. that that seems to be the extent of it. Yeah, and if there's four of them against us, we stand no chance whatsoever, even though there's a lot more of us. In fact, there's actually one scene where there are police officers there. They're outside. There's about four of them with guns pointing them at Vitali. And 
this other guy comes along and says, drop your guns, guys. And they drop their guns. They could have zapped the guy in the head by then. It just is... Mm. It's a, it's a, Not good at hostage situations, are they, Tom, really? Not trained well for this. And we're beginning to get, get the impression that Santini's not a very good cop, is he? <laughs> no, no. He, you know... He's a handsome man as well. He dresses very well. I'm sure he smells beautiful, but he's not the best <laughs> cop in the world. He's got a decent moustache on him and everything, but, you know, he's, if I remember rightly, but not, uh, yeah, not a very convincing cop. So Vitali goes on the run again. Now, this hostage situation, I mean, it gets sort of, you know, it gets resolved f- fairly quickly and easily. Uh, what it basically mm-hmm. result, results in is, is Vitali and his men sitting in a car and... Vitali sort of looks over to the left and, and uh, Marissa Mel, what was her name, Juliana, does something quite brave. She shoots one of the guys who's, who's driving this bus. She shoots one of these guys um, in the head with a gun. Obviously, that's what you that's what you shoot people with. I don't know why I had to explain that. Uh, just because I'm an idiot, basically. Uh, shoots a guy in the head and then is able to help all these women escape from the bus and everything. And Vitali sees her there and he's like, oh, dear, you, you're the one who did it. You're the one who, who dobbed me into the police. Uh, so the police are there. They're, there's a roadblock there. And they're in front. Of the, they, these guys can't get out. So, of course, Santini's like, look, get out of the car now. Everybody exit out, exits out of the car except for Vitali, who, you know, drives, you know, gets in the car, drives at full speed, manages to push his way through that roadblock, and he's out on the run. And you know that he wants revenge against Juliana. And I was, I was, you know, I have to say I've felt some tension here. There are moments throughout this movie where the pace of it dips significantly. And you're like, yeah. you know, you almost kind of had me there and you sort of lost me a little bit. You know, I still, I really like this Vitali. I don't like him as a character, but I, you know, I like the actor playing him as a sort of magnetic presence. But you're losing me a little bit here. But I did feel some tension in wondering, how's he going to get back at Juliana, you know? I'm trying to pinpoint where it kind of starts to wander a bit for me because it, it is maybe in the last half, the last third, where my attention is starting to, to waver. It just seems that, obviously, it's a flaw in his character, the, this need for revenge, because he could have just buggered off, you know yeah. what I mean? And and that would have been the end of it, but that doesn't make for a very good film. But I can see it in him that he would need this because he's such a, a vile character you know such an angry man that I, I you know it i don't disbelieve that he would risk his own um freedom to try and get revenge on people so but i'm trying to recall where it kind of loses steam for me but i think like you say it seems to be in pockets here and there rather than at any specific point yeah i'd agree with that i kind of wish really that they'd that much of the film had played out at that factory with maybe a big shootout or something like that. Like, I think, because I think that's a good location for it to have happened. You know, the prisoners would scatter there. As it is, you know, Vitaly goes off on his own and there's revenge plot that happens. And it's sort of, I think, it, it feels a bit more scattered as it sort of moves towards the end of it. Basically, what happens is, you know, G- Juliana is scared for her life, of course, because she knows he's going to try to get revenge. Uh, and he does. He sort of plants himself in a building across the street from where she is and tries to, uh, you know, snipe her to death, manages to shoot her in the hip, I think, or in the leg, and uh, succeeds to do that. But they they give chase to him again. And something interesting happens here, Tom, which I didn't really expect, is Juliana's been kind of a key character in the whole thing. And Mm. at this point, they pretty much discard her and put the focus on Santini and Vitali and Santini's family. And we don't see Juliana again. 
That's right, yeah. Because he, he then kidnaps Santini's family, doesn't he? Is it his sister and... Is it his dad? S- sister something? and his father, yeah. That's what I mean. It's it's all over the place in terms of this uh, this battle between them, isn't it? The the things that they, they do to get at each other. Vitaly especially just, you know, whatever he, he can do, he will do. So it does seem a bit random at times, you know? Yeah, it seems like there's a shift from it being sort of Vitaly versus Giuliana to being Vitaly versus Santini. And it kind of becomes their personal battle with each other. Uh, you know, because as the film sort of goes on in the last third of it, he's really forgotten about Giuliana completely and just now has this desire to get back at Santini. It's a, a very interesting shift. And I did sort of feel a bit a bit strange about the fact that they discard this character of Giuliani because she's been through a hell of a lot. And mm. uh, they do kind of leave it in a way, in a peaceful, peaceful way. She's with her father there and he's sort of... She's helping him put put his tie on and they're sort of... So perhaps they were just thinking, look, we're going to cap off her character there. She's... You know, she's okay, she's safe, she's with her father. Vitaly is, is for some reason, is not targeting her anymore. And we're going to move on, you know, to this whole other kind of plot that's going on. Uh, but, yeah, again, there are moments of this. I and mean, how do you feel about sort of leading up to the final showdown here between Santini and Vitaly? If memory serves now, I, I am starting to get a bit bored by it. You know, we've, we've got these new characters introduced, the, the father and the sister, and it's like, well... Okay, well, does it really need to be them? Couldn't it have been Juliana? You know what I mean? Like he's he's managed to get hold of her again, and, yeah, and stuff like that. But the ending was quite satisfying, despite that. Yeah, I mean, ba- basically, you know, he obviously kidnaps uh, Santini's father and sister, and is kind of torturing them a little bit, and. Um... To, to his credit, Santini's father tries to get away, grabs a gun, not very good with it, and ends up getting shot. And you sort of think, oh, well, that must be the end of him. And uh, Vitaly starts sort of cutting into Santini's sister. We get this final showdown, and it's quite satisfying because what happens is Vitaly is kind of, he's pointing a gun, he's, you know, he's got the sister there as a hostage. He's pointing a gun at Santini. Santini manages to knock the gun out of his hand. And we get a moment where Vitaly looks at him with genuine fear in his eyes for the first time in the movie. And I thought it was very well played by, by old helmet that he, um, that he, he sort of gave him that look like, wow, I have nothing. I don't have a weapon anymore. I'm defenseless. I'm kind of a coward really. And I thought that was, you know, I thought that was an interesting moment. And then Santini proceeds to beat the crap out of him basically. Again, credit to um helmet old burger helmet burger the um the moment when he is getting led out by the two cops yeah caught him now i don't know why they didn't put the cops on him but they lead them out and he is just like this uh, this sort of savage beast in a way yeah you know the this is the true guy, you know, this veneer of this handsome man with his lovely blonde hair and his leather jacket has gone. This is what he is. He's just a monster. And and all that facade has, has completely gone. And I think it's it's a great moment. Yeah, I think it was a great scene. And I think there's almost a bit of vulnerability in there as well as knowing, well, they actually really got me and there's nothing I can do about it, you know. I, I mm. think, yeah, I, I like this film, I have to say. I, I you know, I enjoyed... I enjoyed it, but there was a moment where I was like, "Oh, you almost like I was almost getting ready to pop on Amazon and see if I could get this," and it's mm. just not 
you know, it's not quite there. It's sort of, but I, but I, I found myself impressed by it. You know, at the same time, I think there's some, there's some decent filmmaking and it's shot well and it's acted well. You know, I mean, the dubbing, obviously, this is an Italian film, wasn't shot with sync sound, so everybody's dubbed over. Uh, I think the the dubbing is miles better than than it is in in the Mad Foxes, for example. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and you know, old Mister Berger would would, you know, it seems to be a very good actor. I would, kind of would, in a way would have liked to have heard him actually delivering the dialogue himself. I don't know who dubbed him over, but it it there's a lot of good stuff in this, but it just is like you say, it just pacing issues, man. You know, pacing issues. I think if you just cut it down a bit and and refined it and maybe had a better because i like the conclusion of it but maybe a better lead up to that conclusion maybe a stronger mm. place where that final showdown can take place i think we'd have had a, a bit of an exploitation classic as it is it's not you know it's not quite there it's a, it's a kind of a six out of ten sort of film for me where it's it's you know it's 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 decent you know compared to the mad foxes which is rubbish you know entertainingly so i have to say tom you know as much as i enjoyed this compared to Mad Foxes. I have to say that the, the former is more memorable than this. I would say, you know, you're going to remember things about the Mad Foxes, whereas this is perhaps maybe a bit blander. But um, you know, I don't think that's to to its disc. I'm not saying that's to discredit it. You know, I thought it was a, a decent watch. You know, you've got Helmut Berger doing as a standout in a film that unfortunately doesn't quite match up to what he brings to it, but. Worthwhile watch, you know. Again, I wouldn't. There's, there's probably fans of these movies who will probably uh, hold this up quite highly, and that's great, you know what I mean? If that's your thing, then absolutely. But like I say, maybe it's just that these Italian sort of police movies aren't entirely for me, you know. I, I do enjoy dipping my toe into them, and I have seen some and enjoyed some, but on the whole, maybe they're just not my thing. This one. Good movie, good solid film that just had a, a few issues along the way. No, I can respect that. I mean, if, if you look at something like Mario Barber's The Girl Who Knew Too Much, which is often considered to be you know, one of the first, if not the first, giallo, there's more mm. of an element of a police thriller to that than there is you know, the giallo elements that we see later on. It's kind of a prototype of that. But that is very much... You know, that's got John Saxon in it as the, uh, as the, the policeman in that. I think that this is... It's it's comparable in terms of style to a film like Rabid Dogs slash Kidnapped. Uh, so if I remember rightly, uh, Mario Bava did not survive to finish Rabid Dogs, so it was kind of that version was kind of hastily put together, I think. And then I think they, I think Kidnapped is the version that his son ended up kind of uh, kind of wheeling together to sort of finish it a bit better. But I can't remember; it might be the other way around. But Rabid Dogs, I think, is if you want to see a film that is similar to this in some ways, but is is better, is put together better, and has has more pace to it, despite it being mostly set in a car. Uh, mm. You know, Rabid Dogs is the one I would say. But this is, you know, I'm, I'm going to read it in a moment anyway when we get to the trivia stuff. But it's it's fairly easy to get hold of, and I think if it's, I don't think it's a bad buy for you know ten bucks or something like that. You know, it, it's not a bad buy at all because it's got good stuff in it, but it it just doesn't quite you know doesn't get top marks but it, it is uh so i was surprised by this honestly tom you know can, watching it after the mad foxes of course there's an element of it being a bit disappointing because it's not as outlandish as that one but it is in every way it's it's a better movie but it's just not as memorable yeah it's almost a disservice to put it next to something like the mad foxes because uh, you know you you do end up comparing them but there's there's no comparison really 
but you're right we we will remember mad foxes just for being so crazy and and this unfortunately you know ask me about this in six months ask me about this in a month and i probably won't be able to remember much about it yeah unfortunately you know that is the case i mean we'll remember helmet burger and we'll probably remember his performance in this but yeah the film itself is is not quite there but uh, i have to say i did i did like like it while i was watching it you know a good chunk of it anyway uh, let me tell you a bit about helmet burger in the trivia section tom now, uh, Mr. Helmut Berger, who of course plays Nanny Vitali, is an extremely well-respected actor in his native Austria, having starred in a number of Luciano Visconti films, which are apparently highly respected by film ac- academics and fans. I would guess he's a sort of, you know, Ingmar Bergman kind of kind of character. I, I, I don't know. I've not seen any of these, any of his films. You know, I'm a very much a, a genre kind of guy. I don't tend to go into the arty stuff so much, but he seems to be very well respected for that. His role in 1969's The Dam saw him receive critical acclaim and the screenplay was nominated for an Oscar at that year's awards ceremony. Uh, Berger was also romantically involved with Luciano until his death in 1976 and was, was well known for his bisexuality and being very free sexually. His uh, frequent uh, androgynous roles even garnered notice from pop star Madonna, who considered him an influence when she was uh, interviewed in the 90s. Berger acted in many European films and projects, uh, also had roles in American productions like TV soap Dynasty and The Godfather Part 3. I can't remember what character he plays in The Godfather Part 3. I can't remember him from The Godfather Part 3, but apparently he was in it. Um, With over 60 credits to his name, he continues to act to this day. Richard Harrison, who plays Inspector Santini, now this is interesting, Yeah, he's, he's in fact an American actor. Uh, you can see throughout the movie that he is speaking English, but obviously the dub track, it almost seems out of sync because obviously they're trying to sort of dub over him and, and not doing a, a great job of getting it in sync. But uh, he worked on a number of Italian projects in the 70s and 80s, but carved out a particular niche in ninja-related movies beginning in the early 80s. He would go on to play a character named Ninja Master Gordon in no less than 13 movies playing that same character. And some of the movies he was involved in have such names as The Ninja Squad, Golden Ninja Warrior, Ninja Dragon, Ninja Commandments, Cobra vs. Ninja, Ninja Power Force, Diamond Ninja Force, and Ninja Cock. And many, many more. No, he didn't really star in a film called Ninja Cock. But he's also got a bunch of other... So for some reason, he sort of made it his thing in his career that he was going to be the guy who was involved in ninja movies. It's good work if you can get it. Yeah, I wouldn't, you know. I wouldn't balk at such a thing. I'd love to be a ninja in movies, slice in movies, slicing people up, Tom. It's what I'm. It's what I live for. Uh, Mar- Marissa Mel, who plays the unfortunate Juliana here, was in a good number of films from the fifties through to the early nineties, with seventy credits to her name on IMDb. Uh, perhaps her most notable role is in the Mario Bava film Danger Diabolic, where she played the girlfriend of the uh, titular character Diabolic, uh, an anti-hero thief. Her last credit was in 1991, and she sadly passed away in 1992 from cancer in her native Austria. And finally, this was to be director Sergio Grico's final film as a director. He had been directing films since the 50s and was also known for the infamously sleaze-tastic The Sinful Nuns of Valentine in 1974. Grico was also a co-writer, and this is interesting, on... Uh, Enzo Castellari's grindhouse favourite, The Inglorious Bastards, which was released in 1978. Now, of course, as uh, almost all of you who are listening will know, Quentin Tarantino, a self-confessed you know, major fan of the film, would go on to direct a remake in name only uh, of that film, which was released in 2009 and introduced mainstream audiences to the wonderful Christoph Waltz, who I love very much, Tom. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Good. Thanks a lot. Uh, so Street, <laughs> Street Killers is available on DVD 
quite easily uh, easy to find really in the US under the title Beast with a Gun and Mad Dog Killer. The release under the Mad Dog Killer title is from Blue Underground and it's region free on DVD. So, and I looked on their website and it seems like it's still in stock and it's uh, I don't know it's not not very expensive. So, uh, you know if you're perhaps wanting this, you know I can't, I can't really. You know, I can't say that I don't recommend it. You know, if you can find it somewhere cheap, I, I would say give it a go. If you like a sort of hardboard Italian thriller that is not quite there, you know, it's kind of a B minus. But you know, they're trying, Tom. They're giving it a damn good go, and it, it's a it's a very competent movie, I think. Uh, so it may even be one someday. I mean, I bought far too much lately, but it may be one that I pick up someday, despite my reservations about it. Giving it another go, perhaps it will sort of, you know, smooth itself out with another watch. Yeah, I, I could see that. You know, if, if someone said, you know, here's the Blu-ray for six quid, I'd take it. But yeah. any more than that, no. So what you're basically saying is you're a cheapskate, Tom. Yes. Fair enough. No, it, it's just it's just not that, you know, I wouldn't spend that much money on it. But. Yeah, Yeah. so there we go, Tom. It's, uh, it's as simple as that, really. Very different films, aren't they, in terms of tone? Uh, you know, I guess they've both got gangs in, and that's what we will link them together with, but... Very different indeed. Well, let's hear what our friends have to say about one or more of these movies in the feedback section. Okay, so first up, we have an email from somebody who uh, we speak to on Twitter quite often. I know you know him very well in, in particular, Tom. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember if we've got an email from him before. I have a feeling we we may have. But uh, who's that email from, Tom? This is from a gentleman by the name of Dave Probert. I don't think he's fed back to us on this, this show before. Um, he fed back to my old podcast, The Gentleman's Grind. I was back in the day. And he is the editor at a site called Geek Planet Online, which I used to do that podcast on. Really nice guy. You know, he has done a ton of podcasting himself, um, both in the past and at the moment he does one called um, Twice as Bright, Half as Long, where they look at kind of aborted TV shows, you know, things that didn't last too long and see whether they're any good. Mm-hmm. Um He's also got one called Tangential Deviation, uh, which is sort of like a, a talk show format. I've been on that in the past. Yep. I think you got invited onto it as well, didn't I you? I did, and I got really busy. And unfortunately, I, I, like an idiot, I never sort of got back to him. I'm sorry about that, Dave, if you listen. If you ever want me, you know, let, let me know. I'm sure my time has passed now because he's. I've noticed some <laughs> of the people he's had on there are sort of quite academic and everything. And I sort of think, oh, why would he want to talk to an idiot like me? But... Uh, I'm sorry about that, Dave. I wasn't purposely uh, ignoring you there. Just unfortunately, uh, life got a bit, you know, got a bit mental for me. But yeah, but uh, no, very interesting show. I listened to a few episodes of it. Okay, so yeah, he can be found at Geek Planet Online. And I'll just um, read out his feedback. He says, gentlemen, I've been listening for a long time and I have become a big fan of the show. So I was happy to have stumbled across the two films you're covering for this edition so I could finally send some feedback. So, Mad Dog Killer was an okay film, clearly going for a dark crime thriller vibe with a side order of exploitation. The first half of the film is essentially just nanny and chums being violent and mean to a variety of people. I could have done without the rape scene, but it does underline what a thoroughly unpleasant person nanny is. 
The problem is the plot changes tracks in a really clunky way. We go from Nanny having committed murder and rape to seeing his victim walking down the street and apparently living with Nanny with no transition, which is confusing. And then we get an info dump about Nanny planning to use her father to pull off his next job. It all feels a little clumsy. Yeah. Then you have Inspector Santini, played by Italian Charlton Heston, who surely joins the great pantheon of splendid moustaches that appear have appeared in The Strange and Deadly Absolutely. Show. Absolutely. <laughs> I think this is one of the best, yeah. because if I had to have a moustache, you know, if someone put a gun to me head and said, you've got to grow a moustache, yeah. I would probably choose this one. Definitely. If I had to have anybody's moustache tickling the bottom of my shaft... I would choose this man's moustache for that. He's portrayed as this tough, no-nonsense cop, despite not being terribly good at his job. Yeah, you're right about <laughs> yeah. that one. He has Nanny cold when he sets up the trap of him and his gang, and yet somehow seems to bungle it by not immediately arresting them the moment they arrive. I did enjoy his final confrontation with Nanny, as it reveals Nanny to be the coward Santini has said he is for the whole film, and given everything he's done, it's satisfying to see Santini knock seven shades of shit out of him, but not kill him. Overall, Mad Dog Killer is the kind of European exploitation crime thriller I imagine a young Quentin Tarantino watching. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, the kind of stylized violence combined with the music in some scenes feels like something he'd go on to refine as a director. Yeah, well, I do believe, just, just to jump in there, that he mentions Helmut Berger in Jackie Brown. Oh. Yeah, I think so. Uh, don't quote me on that because I may be wrong, but I I think so definitely. And this is this is the sort of thing. This is uh, Quentin Tarantino's bread and butter, isn't it? Really, so you can imagine that. Yeah, definitely. Okay, now on to Mad Mad Foxes. My word, the great changes in this make Mad Dog Killer's plotting seem smooth and fluid. The main problem being that it keeps changing every twenty minutes. The main problem with this is Hal, who's a total <laughs> arsehole from start to finish. Um, and the film opens with what is clearly a man in his late 20s to early 30s taking an 18-year-old girl out for a birthday. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, the implication being he's been seeing her since he was 17 and has been waiting eagerly for her to turn 18. See, I thought I, I thought that he looked like he was in his 40s. I thought he was even older and, you know, perfect. <laughs> Hal is the one who starts the feud with the bikers. He kills one of them before they attack him. Well, I don't know. He sort of killed himself, but... <laughs> Um, and if it wasn't for the fact that they rape a teenager, I'd kind of be on their side. Then it looks like it is going to be become some sort of martial arts revenge movie with Hal calling a gang of a gang of rejected street fighter <laughs> characters to help him deal with the bikers. Yeah. This led to the most hilarious scene of the film, where a bunch of men in martial arts garb surround the bikers and proceed to show off all the martial arts moves they've seen on the telly, like a bunch of eight-year-old kids play fighting. That's what it was like, wasn't yeah. it? It was like kids playing fight in a playground. They're supposed to be trained martial artists, and they look like they've never thrown a punch in their life. It's the worst fight scene I've seen committed to film, and culminates in one of uh, the cast of Springtime for Hitler being fed as own little Adolf. <laughs> the martial artists were so lame, I was rather pleased when five minutes later they were all machine gunned to death. And then the film makes a major handbrake turn in the plot when Hal drives off and decides to go visit his parents and pick up a random woman on the way. Uh, this was such a boring section of the film. Mm. Hal is a wanker. 
so I honestly couldn't care less about his poorly acted family. The only mildly interesting thing to happen is in this section was the fact that Hal apparently likes to have sex in a bath full of limeade. The rest was Hal showing off his country pursuits and generally being a spoiled jerk. I was frankly relieved when the bikers showed up to murder everyone because something interesting was happening. Yeah, that, that really is a, an odd section. Mm. Uh, so Hal finds his family dead, leaps into his cockmobile and goes on a murder rampage. This might have had a straw dog's vibe had Hal not been such a self-absorbed prick up to this point. As it was, I was just waiting for the film to end. I liked the ending because it meant Hal got killed, which he thoroughly <laughs> deserved at that point. Oh, he hates Hal, doesn't he? Yeah. I don't blame you. Mad Foxes is a mess of a film that can't decide what it wants to be. Sadly, it isn't so bad it's good. It's just bad and occasionally boring. I will give it some credit for having roughly equal amounts of male and female nudity, but that's about it. Thanks for a great show, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts on these two. All the best, Dave. Good to hear from you, Dave. Mm. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Yeah, really nice to hear from you. Glad you, you finally got a chance to write in. And, uh, yeah, it's hard to disagree with anything you said, really. It's making me chuckle there with the, all the different names that you called Hal. Yeah, I mean, just a just a horrible, <laughs> horrible character, really. Yeah, but, uh, you know, thanks for jumping on with um, maybe one of the most bizarre films we've covered so far. That's what I said to him on Twitter. You know, this is what a, an amazing <laughs> jumping on point, you know, in terms of... You know, feedbacking us with this film. It's, and you can find him on at Geek Planet Dave on Twitter if you want to tweet him and uh, tell him how much you liked his feedback and his hatred of Hal. Absolutely. Okay. Well, another contributor to Geek Planet Online is Jim Moon, frequent contributor to the show as well. And he sent us a bit of audio feedback. So, shall we have a Lovely. listen to Jim? Yeah, let's have a listen. Hello once again, gentlemen. Well, that was another odd double bill. But you know, that's how I like them. Well, first two, Street Killers, a.k.a. Mad Dog Killer, a.k.a. Ferocious, a.k.a. Beast with a Gun, a.k.a. probably lots of other titles as well. Well, this was an interesting little movie. Very much a slow burn. Probably never more slower when those cops were approaching the car, eh? It was quite fascinating to see an Italian take on the bleak, brutal and nihilistic cop thrillers of the 1970s. But while it had a great sadistic villain, a fun funky score, at the same time I felt the film was just lacking something. I'm not entirely sure what, but it just felt like it just needed to step up another gear at some point, just to give the movie that extra bit of punch. But then again, on the other hand, I've not really seen too many of the Italian polizzai exploitation films, apart from the ones that are shading to the shallow genre, and so perhaps I was going into it expecting something a bit different to what that type of film normally goes for. However, not a bad movie, and an interesting watch nonetheless. Now, interesting watch? Well, dear me, that's something of an understatement for Mad Foxes, isn't it? I've seen a lot of crazy movies, but this one seems to be one of the most demented. Karate gangs, Nazi bikers, dominatrixes, and floppy cocks galore. I definitely had the impression that the makers didn't have a clue what type of film they were making, and hence it lurches from biker film to kung fu action to revenge thriller to porno, and finally, seemingly at the end, to Looney Tunes, with everyone being blown up by a big cartoon bomb. Well, 
It's certainly one way to end a movie, I'll give it that. This is a shoddy, shoddy film. It was made with the very worst of intentions to titillate, to exploit and to shock and repulse. And yet, at the same time, it is highly entertaining for every conceivable wrong reason. Maybe it's just a survival instinct that long-term movie buffs develop, but I really relish these types of films where you haven't a clue what's going on, and apparently neither did the makers. This film banged deliciously between genres, didn't have a clue what it was doing, and becomes so bizarre I'm sure it must be a classic of some sort. Of what sort, though, I haven't the faintest idea. But what I can say is that it is certainly the most entertaining Nazi bikers from Floppycock Hell film that I've ever seen. Okay, thank you very much, Jim, your brilliant voice. Uh, So he felt that uh, the movie Mad Dog Killer was an interesting Italian take on cop thrillers of the 70s and had a great sadistic villain. I kind of agree with him here. He he said that he felt the film was just sort of lacking that kind of extra special oomph, really, to take it up another level. Not a bad movie, though, and an interesting watch. Uh, yeah, I pretty much agree, really. Yeah, I, I sort of found it that way. I think I like it a little bit more than you, Tom. Um, I, I did find it an interesting watch, but yeah, with those, obviously with those flaws there. But he considers The Mad Foxes to be one of the most demented movies he's ever seen. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the most demented on this list, I would say. Floppy Cocks Galore. Yes, Floppy Cocks Galore. Yeah, that's okay. what he said. That's <laughs> um, the impression the filmmakers had no clue what kind of film they were making, yeah, which explains all the sort of disparate elements of it. I agree. I, it just was put together with no thought towards cohesion whatsoever. But, you know, he does go on to say that it's the best Floppy Cock Bikers from Hell film that he's ever seen. Mm. And when you put it that way, it's uh, it's right up at the top of the list. I agree. No, Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, very good point. Thank you very much, Jim. We always love hearing from you and uh, the fact that you you go through... A man like Jim Moon, a respectable man, uh, has to sit there and watch these movies along with us. You know, you have my eternal my eternal respect for that. Another old friend of the show, Seth McEvelyn. He sent us a bit of feedback in too. He has indeed. And he sent us an email and he says, Hey guys, interesting films this week. A bit of the old ultra-violence, eh? I can't help but wonder if A Clockwork Orange really ushered in the age of the brutally violent film. Mad Foxes was as trashy as I assumed it would be based on the trailer. One thing I never got from it was, why were they after that guy? Did I miss something? I guess they were just jealous of his sweet ride on maybe the fact that he's so handsome that he can just pick up girls hitchhiking and they'll instantly fall in love with him. The only way they seem to get girls is to pay Nazi dominatrix. Dominatrixes, rather. Not not a terrible film, but the ending was truly lame. Well, as we discovered, uh, Seth, that what happened was he really pissed them off when he turned a corner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's what happened. Uh, so he goes on to say, I feel like Mad Dog Killer was drastically better in terms of actual filmmaking. There had to be an experienced cinematographer behind the camera on this one. The scene where they're beating and burying the informant is uh, burying, rather, the informant is a good example. The combination of the ultra widescreen picture, the close up on the killer in the victim's eyes, and the dramatic music all felt like a spaghetti western to me. I love the music in this one. The score had a recurring theme, but unfortunately it was more of a love theme theme and didn't fit many of the scenes it was used on, unless you're a sicko. Uh, The first grand assumption there, Seth, uh, when the first rape started, there was no scoring, and I kept saying to myself, please don't play the theme, because I didn't want its beauty ruined, but of course they had to play it. Uh, These were pretty decent films, and I'm glad I got to see them. I know Chris had to enjoy Mad Foxes, if only for the top-notch martial arts, Seth. Oh, Seth. And the floppy cocks. And the floppy cocks, yeah. I'm a big fan of martial arts and floppy cocks. 
In fact, if you look at my martial arts collection, most of them are just featured naked men <laughs> kicking others in the face while they're cock. Fl- let's let's stop. So uh, thank you very much, Seth. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's sort of interesting. But it kind of agrees with us on that. I do think Mad Dog Killer is is drastically better in terms of actual filmmaking, and uh, mm. yeah, definitely, definitely a, a, a more experienced eye behind the uh, behind the old camera there. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Thanks, Seth. Always good to hear from you. But hold on a minute, Chris. We've got a message here from Goreboy. Sorry, it's Goreblimey oh, and not Goreboy. Right. Easy mistake to make. Here's some audio from Goreblimey. Okay. <laughs> Hi guys, Goreblimey here. That's Goreblimey, not Goreboy. On Twitter as at doubleagent73. I managed to watch Mad Foxes this week and here are my notes. I have to admit, violent crime drama with neo-Nazis is not really something I'd normally choose to watch. But this one turned out to be so much more than that. It's a violent crime drama with neo-Nazis, but with bad acting, terrible dubbing, fancy dress-style costumes, an implausible plot, and more penises than you can shake a stick at. So much to say about this film, but I'm sure you'll cover most of that anyway, so I'll just mention my favourite bits. Hal likes to impress women by snogging them at traffic lights in his fancy sports car or taking them to trendy discos where choreographed jive routines pop up unexpectedly and don't seem to quite fit in. A bit like Pan's people on top of the pops. We get a car chase that involves speeded up film and a mannequin being flung over some parked cars and some slightly rubbish bikers who wear stupid clothes and seem to drive into things a lot. A big group of martial artists launch an attack on the bikers late at night, in full karate whites, presumably to blend into the background and not look conspicuous. After some half-hearted kicking and jumping around, there's a surprising emasculation scene. It's mostly surprising because the guy just lies there shouting and makes no attempt to use his hands to push them away or stop them. A man and woman are rolling around nude on the beach, and I mean literally rolling, it's quite bizarre, saying how much they love spending time together. And then she promptly dumps him to get a lift with Hal, who she's never met before, to spend a few days at his parents' house. If all this sounds a bit implausible, wait till you hear the parents' maid and a cockney accent, or Hal impressing his new lover by putting on full fox hunting attire when they're just going out horse riding. Towards the end of the film, there's a bathroom killing scene that gives a whole new meaning to the phrase explosive diarrhoea, and an S&M sex scene featuring a bored-looking woman in red PVC basque and a Gestapo hat saying, I loathe you, over and over while whipping a man with all the passion of someone shaking a wet lettuce. Not many crime thrillers can boast a dramatic climax where the hero gets wrestled to the floor by a Nazi in a gimp mask. And then there's the very final closing shot... Talk about going out with a bang. Have to say, I thought it seemed really fitting with everything else about this film, and it had me laughing out loud. What did surprise me was the amount of full frontal male nakedness. It felt like they decided to make the gratuitous nudity 50-50 male-female, which is almost unheard of, even today. Though, curiously, the men in question all seem to be pasty, hairy ones with big moustaches, who could have been on a director inquiries advert. And to whoever decided it would be a good idea to have a stark naked man with his bits out flapping in the breeze doing high kicks in front of the camera, all I can say is thank you. 
The pace is generally fast moving and it's never boring. There is an unpleasant scene near the beginning where a young woman is attacked, which I didn't enjoy, but the rest of the film is hard to take seriously. Especially the biker thugs with their ridiculous outfits and the inappropriate, light-hearted, funky music that plays whenever they're on screen. The acting's far from great and the dubbing is laughably bad, straight out of a Europorn VHS from the late 70s, so I'm told. How the Hero is not at all engaging, and if anything comes across as a bit of an arse. If this crime thriller was trying to shock and horrify me, it failed. It seems to me um, a bizarre mess of a film, but on the whole, I really liked it. Anyway, cheers guys, and speak to you soon. Alright, our old friend Goblimey and not Goboy. Not a big fan of the old violent crime drama with neo-Nazis uh, thing, but this one turned out to be so much more than that. I think I think we all thought it turned out to be much more than we expected. Yeah. He points out the martial artists who come in and beat the gang members are all wearing the brightest white costumes possible so as not to look conspicuous. I know, they must have all just jumped in the van, or maybe they got the bus down. You know I mean? <laughs> it does seem like it, doesn't it? Yeah, all got on the bus. Yeah. Where are you going? Oh, nowhere. Hiding in the shadows with the brightest white costumes. It's true. Mentions the bathroom scene near the end, giving a whole new meaning to the phrase explosive diarrhea. <laughs> go, blimey, um, that was funny. <laughs> and the final shot had him laughing out loud, and... Surprised at the amount of gratuitous male nudity, mm. and uh, yeah, I think we all were. But he says it's never boring, and uh, it's a bizarre mess of a film that he really liked. God, blimey, does this a lot, doesn't he? You like really pan a film or something, and then say, "But I really liked it." <laughs> Do you know what that is, Tom? That's because he's gore blimey and not gore boy. Uh, he says the film's not boring, but uh, I disagree. <laughs> I thought it really, I thought it was very boring in the middle. Yeah, he's he's a bit like, but he likes some some really trashy stuff. You know, we do too. But you know, don't forget yeah. one of his favourite films is Zombie Lake, which is you know the cream of the crop as far as trashy nonsense goes. So uh, I always admire it. I always love how he sort of tears things down. He has these little funny quotes as well when he's writing his notes down. A good boy, that gore blimey. Not gore boy. He is, and uh, you know, I, I kind of respect that a lot. You know, you, you can see how something is a bit shit, a bit trashy, but you enjoy it anyway. We've all got plenty of movies like mm. that. I mean, it's what we're into, isn't it? So yeah, no, definitely. Absolutely. And you can find him at Double Agent Seventy Three on Twitter. He thinks he's Bond, Tom, but that's okay. Okay, all right, thanks, Gore. And uh, we've got an email from our friend Amanda. Yes, and. Uh, this one's for you, isn't it, Chris? It, no, it's for both of us, but uh, <laughs> it is uh, uh, Yeah, email from Amanda. Now, I'm sure it's Reyes, but I, I often get names wrong. And I've heard her pronounce it several times, but for some reason, I, you know, I, I, I get things wrong all the time. Uh, yeah, at Made for TV Mayhem. Now, I'll just say before I, I, I read this, on her last episode of that podcast, Made for TV Mayhem, where they review sort of old television movies... Um, I don't know if you, you've got a chance to listen to that one, Tom, but she had a big segment there where she she basically dedicated to us. Oh, I haven't and, listened yet. But yeah, well, get on it, boy, because uh, she says some really nice things about both of us and how, you know, she sort of started listening to the show and it, it's become her favourite podcast Aww. by a fire. Yeah, yeah, I know. It was really lovely and touching to hear it. A uh, bit of confusion there for, for uh, 
one one of the guys on there said that uh, I'm sorry, I forgot. I'm really bad with names. I think it was Dan. Uh, I think Dan was saying, uh, you know, one of them sounds like the Beatles, <laughs> like a member of the Be- <laughs> like a member of the Beatles. And then uh, Amanda said, yeah, that's Chris. No, <laughs> it's not. That would be uh, Mr. Tom Elliott, of course, who is from Liverpool and that sounds like. And I think she thought that we both lived in Liverpool, but. Uh, I sent her an email, of fee- uh, you know, with feedback in it, which she's going to read out. But just to clarify that to, to her and to everybody, Tom, you are from, uh, you were born and bred in Liverpool. Born and bred, yeah? yes. And I was born and bred in London, but we're very fond of each other and plan to marry later. Uh, but yes, so that is a uh, silence there from Tom. I feel a bit, I feel rejected. I feel rejected, but so you should. <laughs> <laughs> so I should. There's Tom. Tom Elliott. He lays out that he lays the truth there out there for you, bare and exposed. Um, and I have to admire him for it. But yeah, no, it's a really nice thing. You know, she sort of dedicated about ten minutes of the podcast to talking about us, and it was like, oh blimey, this is oh, wow. really really nice. So anyway, it's an email from her. She says, "Hi guys, I only got a chance to watch Mad Foxes, and I have some conflicting opinions on it. But mostly, I didn't care for it. So I'll make this short. A good friend of mine once said, the mark of a good filmmaker is someone who isn't a afraid to embarrass themselves if that statement is true then mad foxes is a fucking masterpiece <laughs> i found the opening rape scene to be totally offensive i hated that she was basically an afterthought as the main character screwed his way through the countryside and was never seen again that's very true uh, at the same time yeah. i was wondering if i was taking the film too seriously because ultimately this is a love story about a guy in his car all those uh, all those shots of his plush wheels and the dashboard cam that captured the road so lovingly from the hood said to me that mad foxes was faux bravado testosterone infused slimeball machismo exploitation madness those are ingredients i should love but it was ultimately an ugh worthy experience i did like the dominatrix though i have to admit i kind of want mm-hmm. I, I want more of an explanation for that tom because that's a very like it's just a one sentence statement i did like the dominatrix though i have to admit why are we getting an insight here into amanda something we didn't know before Mm, she let something slip there. She <laughs> definitely has. Uh, and sp- <laughs> and spoiler, I was happy everyone died. <laughs> I hope the court, hope the court, I hope the car bought it too. Also, I've never been so happy to see guys put their clothes back on. Again, I think I'll be in the minority on this one, but you have to go where the heart takes you. Take care, Amanda. Uh, thank you very much, Amanda. Yeah, really didn't like this one at all. Uh, I wouldn't say she's in the minority. Maybe no. I think we all thought it was shit, didn't we? It's just. <laughs> Some of us kind of got a bit of a buzz off off some of the crap in it. Yeah. Um. But I could totally see someone if it didn't work for them on even that level. Yeah. It's it's memorable shit. It's a bit like there's a piece of shit and then there's a piece of shit with a bit of sweet corn in it. You'll probably remember the one with the sweet corn in it because it had sweet corn in it. Hmm. So email number two from Amanda Reyes. <laughs> uh, she sent us a different email. This isn't feedback, but it's something that's kind of cool, really, and quite touching. Uh. It, she says here, I've been wanting to add you guys to a library guide I built for the new Yale VHS archives. Yale, Tom. Wow. Yale. Yale. We've met. I didn't even finish primary school. No, I'm joking. But it, it, it's, wow, Yale. Uh, I am in library science school and took a class on reference librarianship last semester. And we had to write what is called a lib guide for a topic of our choice. I picked Yale's VHS archives because it was a huge acquisition of tapes that were predominantly horror. While I was building it, I kept running into video nasties during my research, and that might be where I discovered Chris Brown. I can't recall now. I might have just found him on iTunes. 
as well as a lot of other info about the topic. So I made a separate page for nasties, which you can find here. Now she's giving you the, she's giving us the URL. This is the sort of URL you can't really read on a podcast. <laughs> uh, so we'll probably tweet this out at some point so you can go and check it out. Uh, so she says, I added your podcast recently because it absolutely fit and I thought it might be an okay promotion for you. I'm not really sure who visits the guide, but I did build it with the help of the Yale Archivist. The Yale Archivist, Tom. We better clean up on that. <laughs> we better, yeah. You're editing this one, Tom. Can you erase all the horrible things I said about cocks and things? It'll be about three minutes. It will, won't it? Yeah. Erase, erase when I just said cocks there as well. Just damp it and erase when I just said cocks there. And erase when I just said cocks there. Oh, it goes on forever. <laughs> Uh, so she said, with the help of the Yale Archivist who gave me their reading list and also forwarded me a list of all their titles, which was really awesome. They have a decent selection of rare TV horror movies. They really love the guide and my professor asked me to keep it up so she could use it as an example. So hopefully it gets some kind of traffic. Now she says in brackets here, I should add my own podcast. You can check out. Yes, you yeah, you should. Yeah, you, you can check out the rest of the guide by just clicking on the other tabs if you are so inclined. It's random, I know, but not meant to be stalkery. But I decided to share. Can't wait to get to your show after this one. I already know I love the last horror film. I'm fully expecting everyone else to hate it. Take care, Amanda. That's really, really sweet. Oh, Amanda, I'm starting to like Amanda more and more every week. Yeah, definitely. You're falling in love, aren't you, Tom? I am a bit right. Fair enough. Uh, I'm taken, Tom. Happily taken. I must refuse her. <laughs> I must refuse her advances <laughs> at this juncture. No, but she's really, really nice person. Very supportive and uh, really seems to enjoy it. And uh, the fact that she considers our podcast to be, you know, her favourite one is quite remarkable, really, because we're just two, you know, rubber johnnies who sit in a room, discuss horror movies, and I shout into the microphone a lot, and you. You know, put up with me. Yeah, well, someone's got to do it. I have. And it should be you, really, of anyone. There's, <laughs> you, there's my parents, uh, my girlfriend and you. That's basically uh, everybody who has to deal with old Chris. But no, thank you very much. That's really, really sweet. And uh, we'll probably tweet out that URL because, like I say, it's a pretty sort of complicated one to read out on a, on a podcast. But no, very, very, very kind of you. And um, I'm glad you enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, writing in, Amanda. Really appreciate it. And that, my friends, is the end of the feedback section. And yes, you know it. That is the end of the show. Now, we have one more episode to come, uh, which is going to hit you in a fortnight from this one, probably around the 18th of December. And then we're going to take a break, aren't we, Tom? Yes, yes. We'll, you know, there's uh, Christmas going on and New Year and so on. So I think we'll just uh, we'll let that take as long as it takes and uh, and we'll come back. Once we've we've got all that out the way. Yeah, so what you're looking at is this episode. Uh, you'll then get another one. Uh, we're going to discuss what, what the theme of that one is. Uh, you'll get another episode around the 18th of December. And then we're going to basically pack it in for the Christmas break. We'll be back to you sometime in January. So uh, you've still got one episode to come this month, so don't worry about that. But uh, yeah, we, we did it last year as well. Just take a Christmas break so that we can kind of enjoy that, spend time with our families and... Uh, and come back sort of fresh in January. And uh, we've been going for over a year now, Tom. We started in October, didn't we, of last year? We're, we're sort of at the halfway point now, aren't mm. we? Or I guess we will be in the next episode, maybe. So, yeah, another another year or so of Strange and Deadly after this to, to get us through this list. Yeah, um, we're on episode 20, Tom. They tried to take us down, but they couldn't do it. So, yeah, it's, it's sort of interesting. We're, get, we're getting through this list. We're actually doing it. I know, and the, the the thing is, looking at it, I think it's going to get more obscure. I think we might have put the less obscure... Don't get me wrong, there's a couple of episodes. I mean, there's like Night of the Living Dead, for yeah. God's sake, and Dawn of the Dead, and, and 
you know, uh, Suspiria and stuff on the list. So they're to come, but there's a lot of obscure stuff as well. Yep. So, you know, yeehaw, you know, uh, yarg, get your pirate hat on and, and uh, off you go. Uh, of course, we don't advocate any of that. Well, Tom does. Uh, so, Tom, we've got still one episode to come this month, of course, after this month. What is the theme of the next episode and what are the films? Okay. Our next episode is a serial killer episode. And there are two films, obviously, yeah. because that's that what makes we sense. do. That's what we've been doing. It makes sense to carry on. <laughs> <laughs> silly man, silly man. Okay, it, and it's um, The Love Butcher, which is a film I've never seen, nope. but I know of. I'm actually quite looking forward to this one. And um, The Last Horror Film. Now, The Last Horror Film, as we know, you and I are big fans of Maniac. Yep. And The Last Horror Film reteams Joe Spinell with Caroline Monroe. I do own it. I've seen it a while ago, so I look forward to coming back to it. I've never seen it, but I bought the Blu-ray from 88 Films last year. So it's mm. funny you say, you know, you buy all these films and they sit up on the shelf. That's one that has. Uh, so, yeah, definitely looking forward to that. It seems like Amanda was, was, you know, quite taken by that movie. And I do love Joe Spinell. So mm. I'm really looking forward to that. Well, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but it's no maniac, but... I think there might be some fun to add. We'll see. We'll see. Well, interesting. You know, watching more Joe Spinell to me is usually never a bad thing. So that's it, guys. That's the end of episode 20 of The Strange and Deadly Show. Now, if you want to send us feedback, get in touch with us, uh, you can do so. You can send uh, an email to feedback at strangeanddeadly.com. You can send us an email or you can send us an audio file. As I always say, try not to make it longer than about four minutes, just so it's sort of not fairly condensed down. It can fit into the show nicely. Uh, Tom, if they want to find you on Twitter, where can they do that? Uh, at Grindhouse Tom. Yep, you can also find Strange and Deadly on Twitter. It's twitter.com forward slash strangedeadly. And I'm at the Gore Boy. And you can also find me on Instagram at the Chris. Clayton. So that's it, guys. That is the end of the episode. Thank you very much for listening and supporting us as you do. And uh, yeah, enjoy this episode, and we'll be back with you in another fortnight with our final episode of the year. It's the Serial Killers uh, themed episode, the last horror film, and the Love Butcher. So until then, I have been Chris Clayton. And I'm Tom Ellis. And thank you for listening. Go flop your cock around. Be happy. Bye.
Yes, they do. And at this point, you know, we, we haven't seen that leader again, the guy who got his, you know, his Harris. His Harris? The guy who got his... Uh, <laughs> hang on a minute. It's Richard Harris. It's Richard Harris. Hang on a minute. <clears throat> oh, I don't blame you at all. I sort of agree in some way, but yeah, not a, not a bad thing at all. Well, that's it, guys. That's the end of our review of these two films. Uh, very different films, aren't they, really, Tom? Very different in tone and, and you know, certainly uh, we can say that uh, the movie we just watched... Oh, I've forgotten the name of. What is it? <laughs> um, <laughs> Street, Street Killers. Killers. Oh. <laughs> 